I don't think we have a future in show business. But uh, I thought I was going to have to be a campus pastor here, not an intern. But apparently we're going to take on the uh, video, the intern videos. But anyway, we've enjoyed shooting those videos. It's a lot of fun. I love hanging out with Andy John and Alan, and uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. So today we're continuing in this study uh, that we're calling Bring It In. Um, and I want to tell you, a team that plays, any team, that plays an organized sport, every one of them has a name. And that name is what goes on their jersey. Maybe it's plastered on the side of the bus when they drive up. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the, it's, it may be on the scoreboard. And it's what the fans chant from the stands. And usually this name represents where they are from. Maybe a country, a state, a city, or a town. And by wearing that name on their jersey... They represent that place and its people. It's why it was such a big deal in 2016 when, the, when four USA swimmers who were in the Olympics lied about a situation in which they were caught doing some things, uh, relieving themselves at a gas station and uh, vandalizing a poster. They were all suspended from the training facilities for a period, and they were not allowed to come to the, to the uh, what was it called, the Golden Goggles, which was like a big uh, award banquet for swimmers. But these weren't just Americans who were in Brazil who had partied too much. They were USA Olympic swimmers. They bore the name of the country that they were from in their sport, and that, this created a high level of accountability. And it works on small levels too. I remember our senior year, uh, we squeezed in by a technicality into the first round of the playoffs in football. And we had people driving from our hometown hours to go to Dora, Alabama. Dora, Alabama to watch us play football. Folks that had never driven down the street to watch us play at home, but they're driving all the way to Dora because we represented them. We were representing our whole town. And church, just as every team has a name that they represent, we too as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, you have a name that you represent. You have a name. We'll see what that looks like as we look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 today. We're going to look pretty much just at this verse. Uh, It'll kind of continue into next week. We'll come back and talk about some more next week. But um, let's look at verse 27. I want to read it. I'll pray and then we'll come back and start kind of breaking it down. Paul, This is Paul writing to, to the gathered church in Philippi. He says this, Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Let me say a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that we uh, can trust your word, that you've given it to us. God, you revealed yourself to us through your word. And I pray, God, that today as as we've opened it up, we begin to study it. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths of it. And God, that we would leave here. Um, either encouraged of things we need to be encouraged of, convicted of things that need to be convicted of. And God, we would leave here with a better understanding of who you are and what you desire of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week, if you were here last week or watched online, whatever the case, last week uh, Paul helped us see that for unity to take place in any, uh, in any church or really in any team, we've got to have a common reason. 
And Paul laid out for us and for the church at Philippi in this letter, he laid out for them what his reasons were. His reasons were two, the glory of Christ and the good of the church. We talked about how those two things drove everything that Paul did. And as soon as he finishes that conversation, we get verse 27. And he gets the reader's attention. He starts off by saying just one thing. Now, if you have a different translation of the Bible, I use the Christian Standard Bible. You may have a different translation, and that's cool. It'll be a little bit different. It may say something different, but the point is the same. What Paul is saying, Paul is saying, if you don't hear anything else, if you tune out the rest of everything I say, just hear this. One, one guy I read this week said, you can imagine the, the image here is that Paul's holding up one finger and he's leaning in real close. Right? And so what Paul's about to say is really important for the church. And so we're going to take this thing piece by piece and kind of look at it. If you're, there should have been uh, some notes in your seat if you're a note taker. All you type A folks, this is for you. Number one, believers are citizens of heaven. Believers are citizens of heaven. Now here's the deal. That is a really cool truth, but it's also really creepy at the same time. Because we're on earth, not in heaven. So how can we be citizens of a place that we haven't yet been? That's kind of what's intention. But Paul, Paul talks about this a little bit later in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, right before this, he's using imagery. He's talking about enemies of the cross. Paul says that there are enemies of the cross out there. And it's these people, he says, that the, out, their, the outcome of their rebellion is destruction. He says that the God they worship and follow is their stomach, um, which is my son, like just... Like his literal stomach, he, he's he ruled by hunger, right? It's just all the time he's hungry about something. But this is talking about something deeper. It's saying, uh, Paul's saying that they're, they're guided by their instincts and their natural desires, their natural sinful things. And then he says that they are full of shame and they're focused on every type of earthly thing. And so after Paul describes these enemies of the cross in chapter 3, he then says what's in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's against the backdrop of the enemies of the cross, the rebellion that ends in direction, the God of their stomach, the, they're full of shame, and the earthly focus that they have that Paul speaks and says, we are citizens of heaven. Paul's using the citizenship idea because Philippi was one of, um, it, it wasn't a small city by any means, but it wasn't one of the biggest, but it was in the Roman Empire. If you remember world history back in whatever grade you learned world history, um, the Roman Empire was a big deal. They had, it, it was, it was uh, especially in the first century uh, AD, it was a big deal. And so the big cities would oftentimes build their cities around what Rome looked like. And so when you walked into Philippi, it would feel very much like you were in Rome. The architecture would match. The way that the streets were laid out and aligned, it would feel like you were in Rome. And these people, these people, they would have, they would have taken great honor in the empire. They would have taken great honor in following the emperor. I was reading this week that some archaeologists discovered some, uh, some, some artifacts Pretty recently, uh, down under layers and layers of rock and other things. I don't know archaeology. And underneath the city of Philippi, they found bright red hats that said, Make Rome Great Again. 
Like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Okay, that's not true. But that's the, that's the, that's the passion with which these people would have followed their leader. Okay? They're, 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 they would have had bumper stickers on their horses. They would, have, they would argue in their workplace, right, over whether the emperor was making the right decisions or not. And if they disagreed with you, they'd call you a snowflake or something, right? Like that's the kind of people that what's going on in Rome right now, they're buying full all in to what the emperor is saying. And Paul speaks into that, into that stuff and he says, our citizenship is in heaven, not any place on earth. See, Paul is challenging them that their allegiance is not first and foremost to a ruling authority or empire on earth. Their devotion must be solely centered around who Jesus is and that alone. I believe that there has ever been a reminder that we need in 2020 it is this, our citizenship is in heaven. And the question for us that stands glaring at this moment is do we look, do you look more like the group that is consumed with earthly matters and their own passions? Or are you recognizing your heavenly citizenship and thinking about spiritual things? That's the question we need to ask ourselves often and regularly before we get consumed into the culture around us. So point number one, believers are citizens of heaven, first and foremost, above all else. Number two, believers should live worthy of the gospel. Paul says that as citizens of heaven, we should live worthy of the gospel of Christ. God has saved God had saved each one of the believers that's in Philippi at this point. Each one of them that's worshiping at the house churches there. And however, some of them probably had doubts, struggling to live different from the world around them. Anybody want to testify and say it can be difficult to follow God and live differently from the world around you? Four of us feel that way. The rest of you are so holy. Thank you. No, we all feel that way. And that's the same thing that's going on in Philippi. We, do, we just do goofy things sometimes, and we know it's wrong, but we still do. Paul speaks into that, and he challenges them. He says, live different. Live worthy of the gospel. Why? Because you, you belong to a new team. When you've trusted in Christ, you belong to a new team. Uh, for, the, for the church at Philippi, King, the... Uh, uh, Roman Empire is no longer on their jersey. It's no longer on their life. The kingdom of God is now everything they live for. It's got to drive everything that they do. That's what's going on. You belong to a new team. You represent a new kingdom. You represent God. That's why, again, it was such a big deal for the U.S. swim team. They're Americans staying in a place that was not their home. They had a real opportunity to represent their country well. And they failed badly. They didn't live worthy of the name on their speedos and swim caps. As believers, as citizens of heaven, you and I have been called out to live differently as well. God has saved us to follow him and to not take the path that we want to take on our own because of sin. But what's frustrating is that Paul doesn't say, live worthy of the gospel, and here's five ways you can do it. That's what we want. Could not. Paul, quit beating around the bush. Just give us five things to do this week so that we can start living worthy of the gospel. That just would be not Paul's way. But he does give us some hints as to what he means by this. 
But we need to slow down and read the way the Scripture reads. I'm going to tell you, as I've grown as a Christian, I know that God, through the Holy Spirit, has helped me read Scripture. This isn't Scripture. This is my notes. Scripture. God has helped me read Scripture by His Holy Spirit. But another way that He's helped me grow is by helping me to learn to read. I went to Ardmore. There's other Ardmore folks in here now. They may not testify, but hang on. Hang on, all right? But like, I, and I, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. Some of you guys, I know you read and read and read, and you're just awesome at it. My wife is one of those. She can read high comprehension. I can read the same paragraph ten times and go, I don't know. And so God has not only helped me through the Holy Spirit to understand God's Word, He's also helped me through my brain to learn to read the Bible well. And so when... That may be for you. So if you've ever taken one of my small groups, you know that I like to break it down and and look at the sentence and figure out what's going on. So let's do that with this passage. Just one thing, Paul says, verse 27. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, a huge, important word to notice. I call them connecting words. I know they have a fancy literary name, but I call them connecting words. It's connecting two ideas, two sentences. And what it is here is it's like a cause and effect idea. He says, if the church at Philippi will live their lives worthy of the gospel, he says, then I will hear about you. Paul knows that if he ever got out of prison, which is where he's writing from, he would get back on the circuit. He'd get back on a boat and he'd travel the known world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and encouraging the church. But he also knew there's a good chance he wouldn't. But what he did expect was a word from Philippi, an encouraging word from what was going on there. And so he says, if you live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, then I will hear about what's going on. The effect of living the world life worthy of the gospel, Paul says are two things. He says, if you'll live your life worthy of the gospel, I will hear about these two things, that you are standing together and that you are contending together. Now, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't show us what individual lives would look like. Uh, He doesn't say, if you live your lives worthy of the gospel, then uh, I will hear about how you had a Bible study this morning uh, in your own home. I'll hear about your prayer life. I'll hear about all, not that those things aren't the case. But Paul, Paul is speaking here not just to individuals. And it can be very easy for me as a self-centered 21st century American. Y'all, it's ingrained in us. You may think, I'm not self-centered. Yes, you are. Good night, you are. It's all, we're all about ourselves if we're not careful. And when we read the Bible... We will think that Paul is speaking to me. Paul is speaking to you. Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking in collective terms. See, Paul didn't write in English, okay? It wouldn't be invented until centuries later. Paul wrote in Greek. And in Greek, there are two forms of the word you, okay? There's you, and then there's y'all. Y'all didn't know that Greek, Greek language was built for rednecks. Like it literally was. Like well, there, there are two words. There's you, individual, and then there's y'all, collective, in the Greek. And so 
just to give you some, just so you don't think I'm crazy, I studied this week using some Bible study software that's a lot smarter than me because I don't know Greek. But in the book of Philippians, Paul uses y'all 52 times. 52. He uses you as an individual one time. So do you think Paul's main emphasis is how we are living for Christ as a body or how you as an individual are living for Christ? As a body. Thank you, Greg. As a body, yes. Sometimes I ask rhetorical questions. That one wasn't supposed to be. Sorry. We should have a light that flashes when I seriously want an answer. So it's not. Anyway. But when Paul says live lives worthy of the gospel, he isn't speaking to the church at Philippi as individuals. He's speaking to them as a whole. And there's further evidence by what he says that follows. He says, when I hear that you are living your lives worthy of the gospel, I'll see two things. The first one I've already given to you, standing together. As a church, there is an important stance we take. You see, we can, you can stand for a lot of things as individuals. Some of you have probably donated to political campaigns over the years. Uh, some of you may have boycotted NFL, Chick-fil-A, Target, Hobby Lobby, or any combination of the bunch. Feel free. Do whatever you want. Okay? Boycott anybody. But the things that I or anybody who is a representative of our church will stand from this stage or in a small group room and proclaim to you the only issues we get involved in as a church are gospel issues. We do not get into the weeds of stuff. You see at Lindsay Lane East, we don't lean right or left because we lean on Jesus and he's not right or left. We lean on Jesus, not some party, because our Savior is a risen Jesus, not a donkey or a... I always mess that up. A, what are they? Elephant or donkey. Goodness, thank you. You won't be asked to boycott a company because we're people of grace. We won't jump on every social media movement because those things are polarizing and full of agendas that we don't even know about. However, there will be things in the future that we stand together for and we stand against, but each one of them will be rooted clearly and plainly in the Word of God. The stance we take as a church must be honoring to God above anything that man thinks. Can we all just say amen to that? And that, that's truth. And if you don't like it, we can talk later. You can email Greg. The second thing... Greg at Lindsay Lane. The second thing Paul says, he says he would find if they lived worthy of the gospel, he says not only standing together, but the second thing, contending together. If standing together is the stance we take, contending is the move we make. You see, contending is not a word I use with any regularity. Okay? I can't tell you the last time I said contending except for this morning at 9 o'clock service. I can't. We don't use it. However, in the Greek, the word Paul uses is where we get our word athlete, and it literally means to compete. It's most often used in the Greek to refer to wrestling. Wrestling. You guys know what wrestling is, right? The sport, like the one that you can get a college degree for, not wrestling. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Don't judge me. 
My papa would roll over in his grave if I said wrestling wasn't important. He loved it. But we're not talking WWE here. We're talking wrestling. Paul challenges the church in Philippi to wrestle together, to contend together. This refers to the move we make together. The problem we must avoid as a church is one that I see many churches seem to not have figured out. The Christian church in America is known very well for where we stand, for the love of all that's good. We've boycotted and Facebook posted ourselves into a very clear picture of where we stand. We don't need to go there anymore. But what makes us move? Church, that's the question that's at my heart. They know where we stand. Now, what makes us move? Those two things are very different. The stance we take and the move we make, we can put out a statement that clearly defines how we feel about every single political issue in the world. But it's not going to change the hearts of our community. We need to get out into the broken world that we fuss so much about and do something in it and for it. What makes us as a church act on behalf of other people? What are the things that make us move together, to contend together? You've heard it said churches are, are known more for what they're against than what they're for, okay? Very true. I don't even care what we're for. I mean, those things are good. I want our community to know that we love them because we are in the community and loving the community through service together. I want our community to know what makes us move. I want, to, I want them to know that we are moving towards them, not standing in our church and making statements. I thought of this challenge this week. This was my prayer last night, even as I was looking over my notes. God, may Lindsay Lane East's love for the community be more clear than our doctrinal statement. You know, that's hard for me to say. Because, man, I love to study and I love doctrine. I love theology. Buy me a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it all day. But at the end of the day, what we believe about the Bible doesn't matter until they see that we love them. Our community has got to know that we are for them and that God loves them and that he is, he's willing to save them. He stands ready to save them. If we can get there, that's a real Christ-centered church. So we talked about, Paul's making it clear here. We are citizens of heaven. Our, the name on our jersey has changed. More than your family, more than the place you're from. Kingdom of God. Christ is now on our jerseys. We need to live worthy of the call of the gospel on our lives and we need to stand together and we need to move together. Next week we're going to pick up this conversation from verse 27 as it gets into verse 28 because there's more. But today let me remind you of this one thing. You cannot live worthy of the gospel without the local church. Paul just said it. Paul just said to live your lives worthy of the gospel. What does that look like, Paul? Standing together and contending together. Standing together and contending together. Paul says the very way that we live according, live worthy of the gospel is through the stance that we make together as the church and the move that we make. So if you call East home, let me just ask you, are you in it? 
Are you here? Are you with us? Are you ready to stand for the biblical things that we need to stand for and stand against the ungodly things that when that time arises? But are you more willing to contend for the things that require action and compassion in our community? If you're not an East person, this is who we are. It's who we're trying to be. God shows us grace every day in this. I want to give each of us time as individuals. We're going to move into a time of response here in a second. I want to give you an opportunity to search your hearts, especially East folks, because the quarantine time has in many ways been a disconnected and lonely time. So many feel 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 just completely disconnected. I talked to a church member this week who just said, man, I never realized how much I needed the church until we didn't have it. Right? This is what's going on. This is why, this is where I, why our heart breaks. Do you see your need for the local body? Do you see the encouragement that comes from and for one another? Do you see the common tasks that God has laid out for us in his word? Do you see why we need each other? Today, if you're, if, if you're regular here at East and this, you're a member and you're, you're, you're here, you're ready to go, I want to ask you to pray two prayers. The first, I want to ask you to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for what God has done in the past and the present to bring us together for this season. Prayer number two, I ask that you pray a prayer of commitment for the future as we partner together as citizens of heaven to live together worthy of the gospel. As always, if you've not committed your life to Christ, would like to talk with someone about that, I'll be down front. We'll have two counselors by the back door who can also talk to you there. If you've not committed your life to Christ, we'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. That's the means by which we become citizens of heaven. If you've been saved but you've not been baptized, y'all, we're going to have water in here next week. Does that fire y'all up like it does me? Could not. We're going to have to clean it so good because there's just there's been dust growing in it. But praise the Lord. We got baptisms next Sunday. I'm so excited. It's been a the quarantine just has thrown everything in a mess, but now we're seeing God change lives and we're 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 back in the baptism waters. I'm so excited about that next week. So we can get you signed up. <laughs> if you've not been baptized, we'd love to talk with you about that. Talk with us about officially joining this church, y'all. We're going we're going have a new members course, what we call East 101. We've got that coming up in like two weeks. We would love for you to, to talk with us about joining the church because now's a good time because we've got a class coming up just shortly that's expected for our church membership. And you can always use this time just for prayer to, to come to the Lord and talk to him about what, what's on your heart. But however God leads you to respond during this time, I pray that you be obedient. Patrick's going to come on up and begin to play and... Uh, I don't know how God may have used this message, but however he did, you just respond. If I just ended and we kicked you all out of here, Satan would use that time to distract you and get you thinking about lunch. Don't worry about lunch yet. Let's deal with the Lord on what he's called us to do, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer. Uh, We'll all stand after I pray, and the altar will be open to come and pray. I'll be down front to receive you. If you want to talk with me about anything, we'll have two counselors by the back door as well. I'll pray, we'll stand. Father, we love you, God, and we thank you for what you do in us and through us, God, and the way that you have protected us over the years here at East. God, I'm thankful for the season that you've placed us all in, God. In a lot of ways, it just stinks, the, the state of the world right now. But, God, we know you have a plan. 
Um, God, you're saving people. You're making a difference in people's lives. God, you're using us to impact our community. God, we're ready to go. We're ready to be faithful. God, we're ready to make an impact. God, we're ready to stand and we're ready to contend and live worthy of the gospel. Father God, help us to be obedient. Help us uh, as we pray, as we sing. God, as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.